Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey podcast, episode number 71. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BDreamin on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, I heard that uh, you guys have to shelter in place now, too. How's it going there? So we're pretty close. The county I live in is right next to one that is sheltering in place, so I don't think it'll be long. But we press on, right? Yeah, we press on. For the listeners out there, we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Hey, uh, you managed to score a fascinating guest this week, uh, Brad Tompkins, who leads the independent VMware User Group organization. Yeah, I actually met Brad at the Dallas VMware User Group UserCon this past year, and wouldn't you know it, immediately hit him up to come on the show <laughs> and talk about <laughs> how he got to where he is. Because, you know, as you'll hear shortly, he started his career in IT and climbed his way to the top through a lot of interesting steps, but I won't give them all away. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, hear the first part of this interview again, uh, Brad's journey to leading the VMware user group organization. Brad Tompkins, thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. If you don't mind, Brad, for those who don't know you, can you just start by giving us some information about where you work and what you do? Very brief. Yes, my name is Brad Tompkins, and I'm the executive director of VMUG, which is the VMware user group. Awesome. Now, before we get to all the cool things you do as part of that, can you give us some background on how you got to where you are? Be happy to. So I went to college at the uh, University of South Carolina, and my degree was in information systems. So I'm, I'm actually still kind of doing what my degree was, which is somewhat rare. And when I got out of college, I took a job selling computers and networks and things like that to corporate accounts. And it was with a small company in South Carolina and Columbia uh, called Computer Sales and Services. They're still around. And I uh, learned a lot with that company, learned a lot um, from the people that worked there. And I stayed there for probably about maybe four years or so, five years, something like that. And then I left and went to work for a company called uh, Siebel's Bruce. And Siebel's Bruce was a company that sold insurance. They were an insurance company and they were in Columbia. They'd been around since 1869 or something like that. Very old company. And I started out in their help desk department. And back then it was AS 400s. So you did everything from the help desk, you know, from a green screen and you know, you could do anything remotely. It was no big deal. But about that time, uh, PCs were starting to come, all, come along and um, we were 
starting to roll out PCs and those sort of things. So I kind of started getting used to more of um, the going to the desk. And this is the, you know, combined compute to the distributed compute, that kind of pendulum that we all know well. So that was swinging back to more distributed. And uh, that was that was interesting times. That was also one of the points in my career where I kind of took a turn and I took a turn toward telecom. So back then, the telecom and the data world were two different two different worlds. And I had the opportunity to accelerate my my career by going telecom. There was a void that was there. You know, somebody had left and it was a much smaller department, but you could kind of. You know, I could see that I could, you know, ramp up and kind of move up the chain a little bit quicker in the telecom department. So I switched over and, you know, was learning tip and ring and how to program on a Nortel switch. We had 81Cs and 11Cs and the 66 punch down block and the 110 punch down block and all that kind of good stuff. So I uh, spent a good amount of time doing that. And then I got a job as the telecom manager at Time Warner Cable. And most people still know Time Warner Cable. And that was actually, if you remember, when AOL was purchasing Time Warner Cable. And I remember in that time, since it was uh, a big rollout, this little side story here, it's a big rollout of um, the AOL you know, platform to all the Time Warner Cable employees. So I was in the IT department, but IT department was very, you know, data one side and, and telecom the other, but at least it was all under the IT umbrella at Time Warner Cable at the time. But the funny thing is, is we were rolling out AIM, you know, the, uh, the AOA Instant Messenger. And so oh, yeah. Brad and his, the good old days. <laughs> Brad in his infinite wisdom was like, this is a consumer product. This is ridiculous. We have to do this. Nobody's going to use this. This is not a corporate thing. This shouldn't be a a, um, you know, a corporate rollout, but nonetheless, you know, company tells me we've got to do it. We've got to roll it out. Cause I was convinced that instant messaging was not going to ever be used in the business workplace. <laughs> so we, we see how well that prediction worked out. So that's a funny story on that. Well, to be fair to you, I, I do not AOL instant message any of my coworkers. So, so let's see. Thank you. Thank you. Not John. today. Me out on that one. But I actually used that when I started a particular job in 2007. That's what oh, wow. everybody in the office was using to communicate. I won't really? say the name of the company, but yeah, it was widespread use there. Well, now, of course, instant messaging. I mean, right now I've got a WhatsApp channel. I've got Slack up. I've got, um, of course, Teams up. I mean, and not to mention just regular text messages. So anyway, obviously, instant messaging and DMs got to be popular later on. But interesting enough, at that time, I stayed in touch with the folks at Siebel's because they were good people and I enjoyed working with them. And, you know, we went through a lot together. We went through Y2K together. So I knew those folks pretty well. And uh, they ended up getting an opportunity for a telecom director job. So I left Time Warner Cable, went back to Siebel's and was their telecom director. Well, shortly after that happened, uh, the IT director, uh, he, he stayed with the company, but he changed, changed roles. And so they decided to combine voice and data. So if you remember when voice and data was converging, 
Then the opportunity for me was to be the director of technology services. So that kind of was the step into doing both sides. So from that aspect, I had the data center, I had voice, I had the help desk, I had PC support, I had everything but development. We had programmers and we did a lot on the um, AS400 with COBOL, but we were moving to the, the .NET world as well. But anyway, I was everything but the programmers. <clears throat> and that was challenging, but it was one, I, I was a little bit, I don't want to say scared, but it was, whew, you know, I've, I've got, if I step up for this job, I need to be able to do this job because I was in my comfort zone of telecom. I knew it really well. I was trained up. I had my certifications. I knew who to call if there was a problem. I knew the Bell South technicians very well. I had many of their cell phone numbers. So and back then, those things weren't given out like candy. So basically, it didn't matter what happened. I knew I could circumvent the system and put in a ticket, but get to somebody pretty quick that could help me out. Because I knew all these people and been doing it for a long time. And I'm like, boy, you're giving all that up. Well, I guess you're adding to it. So I wasn't giving it up. But to go tackle data and servers. And, you know, we were this was pre-VMware. And we had hundreds of servers. And every one of them did one application. And it was such a pain. And so I was a little bit um, apprehensive about it, but I knew that voice was not going to win the voice and data um, collaboration or, or the convergence. You know, we, we knew, I mean, it was obvious it was going to be data. So I'm like, you know, now's your chance. You got to do this. And boy, it was, uh, it was a steep learning curve, but it was a lot of fun. And it was definitely one of those times stepping, stepping out of my comfort zone accelerated my career. I mean, it was a, it was definitely a defining point in my career when that happened. It sounds and like so, that happened. Sorry to interrupt. It sounds like that happened two different times, though. The first time when you actually went in the telecom direction and then the second when you added data back. Yes, that's right. And it's interesting, you know, when you think about that, because one, I was I was branching off and you know, selling the equipment and supporting the equipment was two different things. And so I was on the help desk. I went from selling and having a team that I I sold their services. So if somebody wanted to go install a network, that wasn't me doing it. I was the, the sales guy. So I would just sold it. So when I when I went to Siebel's the first time and it was help desk and that became an option. Yeah, that was kind of that was inflection point number one. And then the second one, and I would say a bigger one was around the director of technology services. And then when you have everything underneath, not everything, but, you know, both the data and the voice uh, all underneath it, that was definitely a change. It was a lot more staff because in the telecom world, I mean, dial tone just worked. I mean, we would joke, you know, you lose email for an hour and people freak out. You lose your dial tone for 30 seconds and people would just, you know, they would go nuts. I mean, you know, email wasn't a big deal back then. But anyway, so that was challenging, but it was definitely worth it. And um, that's also how I got introduced to VMware. We were, I mentioned we had tons of servers and we were doing the uh, one app per server like everything else. And then when VMware came out, uh, I remember some people on my team were like, you know, we're testing out this new software. It seems pretty promising. And I was, you know, asking about it. Now that time I'd kind of moved away from, being the admin, 
I, I still had my admin rights, but um, I didn't I didn't really use it because I knew I was like, oh, this stuff is kind of I had people that were on the team that were a lot better at it than I was. And so you have the combination of, OK, Brad, now you're going to be over multiple things, not just telecom. But that also shifted into my day to day content contact with individuals kind of went up a little higher. So you were starting to. Obviously, that was a director role, but you started working with other directors and, you know, not all directors are created equal. So you had directors that were uh, in charge of, of higher revenue generating. I mean, back then, IT wasn't revenue generating. So any revenue generating would probably put a notch up above IT, but also, you know, in the president's office, those kind of things, because you'd go to, you know, buy a new EMC SAN. And I mean, this was six figures kind of thing. So it was definitely VP sign off. And sometimes president would want to know what's going on, those kind of things. So the focus was how do you get the work done with the team that you have to trust and you have to uh, let them do their job? Because now your job is shifting into how can I get the management to provide what's needed for my team down down in the trenches, so to speak. So that was the shift that was going on as well. But back to VMware. So when we started rolling that out, uh, we, I mean, it was amazing. We definitely saw 20 to one, 30 to one server reduction because we would have a lot of servers. And to be fair, telecom was not a great uh, let's see, IT steward, because you would have a server that had to do one application for the call center that was a very light app and you could not get it to work with anything else. And mostly it's because it was using some version of Java or some version of even Adobe Acrobat that was so old because they didn't update it. But that was the only one it worked on. So you're like, all right, let's maintain this old thing just because we have to you know, keep it going. But again, it's the call center, so it couldn't go down. So you'd buy whatever server. So when VMware came around and we started doing a server virtualization, boy, it, it was amazing. Um, it was interesting because the, we were dealing with issues in the data center of space. It was, oh, we, we don't have enough space. We need, you know, what can we do? We had that was back in the day when you actually had a desk in the data center and somebody worked in the data center and the night person who ran all the backups and did all that, he worked in there. We're like, well, we got to move this desk. We can't have somebody working in the data center. Now, of course, nobody does that or shouldn't at least, but nonetheless, we were running out of space. Then virtualization comes along and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm running out of power and air. It's like space wasn't an issue anymore. I'm like, how can I get more power in here? How can I get more redundancy in here? Because we were, you know, just filling up the um, power supplies. It wasn't filling up the room anymore. So that was kind of neat the way that that all shifted around. So you had to start, it sounds like you had to start thinking more about the strategic goals of the overall department and less about um, like the individual problems. I, the analogy I've always heard is like when you're a manager director and there's a problem on the ship, you, you, you can't grab the oar, right? And start pulling because oftentimes you know so little about what's actually going on at the micro level that you might be using the oar wrong. And mm -hmm. you know, what they really need is someone to say, Hey, this is like the pattern or the beat that we're pulling the oar on. And this is the direction that we're steering. And, 
sounds I actually so let me actually ask a question instead of making straight analogies like what 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 was that decision to get into managing people that you know you actually needed to make that decision at some point in time right to to step away from being an individual contributor and actually you know be in charge of a team of people and do performance management hiring firing um rather than being that like expert individual contributor like wh what was that decision like that decision came fast and that decision came when i decided to move from the director of telecom to the director of technology services and the reason being is telecom was a one-man show and i was that man so mm -hmm. i had a director title but you know i i think i just negotiated that you know during some you know, evaluation or whatever. It was one of these things that, you know, been there for a while or, or however that came about. But, you know, from a director perspective, I did not have anybody working underneath me. You know, there was no hiring and firing. I mean, it was me. I've hired and fired vendors, but that's about it. And, you know, I say fired, but you know what I mean, chose, chose mm -hmm. vendors and things like that. Uh, but that was about it. So when that opportunity was there, it was the learning new technology, but also understanding now you're going to have a team of i think it was like you know eight people that was you know that would port, report directly up to you that you would have to do reviews on and you would have to tell them that they're doing good here and bad there and help them improve and you know make sure that they're doing what they need to do from a, a career pathing perspective um, but also just in an aspect of getting the job done that needed to get done uh, it was also the time that I started learning, and I, I think this is a lesson I'm still uh, learning, is you have to understand what motivates people to get them to perform their best. And it's not always money. It's, it, it, it's, not, it's very rarely just one thing. But I think when I was younger and getting into this, I'm like, okay, we'll just, you know, give them a bonus or pay them more or tell them this is if they do X, Y, Z, they can go earn this amount of money. And I realized really quickly, a lot of people, you know, that was not motivating to them. And it was more about a work-life balance. And I was single at the time when this was going on. And, you know, I, I didn't, didn't think about not being around on a weekend when we did upgrades or asking somebody to work. Oh, we got to start this at 11 PM. Because again, I'm, I'm single. I didn't have kids. I didn't, you know, obviously I knew about those things, but it didn't hit home like it, like the work balance does to me now. I mean, it's something that that's when I started realizing, okay, people have got to have a balance in both sides. I don't know if we were using the term work-life balance, but that's where I realized family was important. Um, equation to people's lives and and uh, obviously family was important to mine but i mean you know when you get married and start having kids that kind of brings things differently a different perspective uh i had some people that even had grandkids that that were working for me and so that's you know that's a whole nother level and so i was like huh okay well let's you know let's make sure that individual can get what they need done so they can leave at five or maybe they ask to leave early so they can go pick up the kids from you know, the daycare or whatever the care, go see the soccer game or those kind of things. So that's, um, that's when that happened. And that was some of the things that I learned um, by, you know, making that switch and, and having people that report up to you. Uh, another thing was in a crisis, I wanted to be that person that would communicate up the chain. So I could let my 
team focus on the problem. You know, your example of the or is spot on. I knew I wasn't going to be the person that's going to log in, you know, to the admin console and fix the issue. I needed to be the person to play, um, you know, the, the shield person, if you will. So when that VP or that president comes down, it's like, what's going on? My X isn't working or my Y customer isn't happy that I would let them know, look, here's the situation. Here's the update. You know, here's what we're doing. And sometimes you're delivering news that they don't want to hear. When is it going to be up? We don't know. You know, that's never fun, but I've done that more than one time. But I did find then regular cadence of communication is key. And I remember emails. Here's your 6 p.m. update. You'll get another one at 7. And at 7, no change. You know, I'd add in some other things. Maybe this is what we've done and not done. You know, and then 8, here's the other change. And then finally we get things fixed. But it's, uh, you know, it's about people management, but it's about communication. And it's getting the tools and the access that your team needs to succeed. And sometimes that's just playing defense. Now, were were the realizations about people wanting the work-life balance, did that come to you on your own or did your manager have to coach you through that process as well? I would say that my team coached me on that. (laughs) That's where I got most of my coaching from. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of them were, um, they were very, um, you know, candid about what, what they needed and what they expected. And, and a lot of them were a lot more, you know, I'll say mature than I was, especially from a business perspective. And, um, and so they were like, look, this is what I need to be successful. This is what you can do to help me out. And boy, I was, I appreciate that, you know, them being candid now, probably more so than back then. Um, And it's interesting also, that's when I started to realize, you know, not everybody has the same goals. Not everybody's motivated, motivated by the same thing, but they all don't have the same goals. And you know what? We, we need people to do a lot of tasks. And if you find the task that you like, it doesn't matter what level that is in the organization. Do it and be happy. And if that, if that provides you the work-life balance that you want and the income that you want, the happiness you want, you have done better than the majority of the people in the world. And again, it does not matter what that title is. There's kind of a, maybe it was Jack Welch who um, popularized this idea, GE, which was like either up or out, right? And it's kind of like a, a, you know, quote unquote feature in like the officer corps of the military as well, right? Which is, you, you tend to lose people, right? When you have that attitude, like you're either progressing up the ladder or you need to get out of the organization. It, it sounds like that's kind of the opposite of what your thinking was. If you find somebody who is happy in a spot doing good work, then that's somebody, you know, it's valuable to the organization to maintain there. Yes, I agree. Because if you can find somebody that's happy at whatever level they're in, they are going to become experts at that level. And forcing them or maybe even encouraging them to go to the next level when they don't want to is doing a disservice to your company and to that employee. So the question is not how do we get you to the next level? The question is, where do you want to go in your career? And if you are happy at X level, have that conversation with them and make sure that what they're saying is actually what they want. And if that's the case, then great. How do we make sure that 
that they understand, look, somebody below you might go past you to get to these vacancies that we have filled. But, you know, this is something that you wanted to, you know, you wanted to stay where you are and that's all good and fine. And you can do this job for X amount of years. But I would also say, you know, every year during the review, ask the question again, ask the question again, because you never know what's going on in someone's life that they might say, yeah, I want to do this job forever. And then three years later, okay, now I'm ready to do something new. It sounds like you're also avoiding, uh, what is it called? The Peter principle where you, you rise to your level of incompetence <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or discomfort, you know, to, yes. to be maybe a little bit more kind. Um, so yeah, that sounds like, you know, great stuff. I, I'm going to have to, I'm cataloging all the things that I'm learning right now. It's, uh, <laughs> um, understand what motivates people, understand what their goals are, because it's not the same, uh, and maintain people at the, at the level where they're comfortable and happy rather than pushing them to, to, to grow. Cause that's not always doing them a, a proper service because it's maybe not serving their goals. That's right. So it sounds like you were able to do this because you fostered this open communication and candor amongst the team at, it, it sounds kind of like that is what carried you or helped you gravitate toward being that communicator of good or bad news up the chain. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, again, being as transparent as you can, uh, both up and down the chain, I think is really important. And consistency, we, you know, when you're delivering messages, especially in a, in a, down situation, you know, email's not working or, or some server's down or whatever. People knowing that, hey, I know I'm going to get an update in 60 minutes or less, I think helped me out during that time managing that um, was some of the things that just put people at ease, even though it might not be the answer that they want. In other words, it's not back up, but they're like, we know Brad's got it under control and we know his team is talented and his team can has got this under control. So, you know, we're going to let them do what they need to do. And that was one of the things. And I, I got some feedback along the way. There was a particular upgrade where things went south. We were putting in a, um, a, a firewall load balancer uh, solution. And of course, you know, it's promised everything was going to go great. So we did it. <clears throat> Started in the, I don't know, probably 10 o'clock at night or something. And we had worked all night and it was coming up to that time of, are we going to go back or move forward? Now, obviously getting this done was important. And anytime it doesn't work it has the potential to make, you know, the team look bad, but the right decision was we got to roll back. You know, it's like three in the morning. It's like, we got to roll back and just, you know, we got to have enough time so we can be back up and running by, you know, 6 AM, 7 AM when people start coming back into work. And so we did that. And my team told me afterwards, they're like, you know, Brad, when you came into the office, because I wasn't even in the office, I said, look, I can be here. But do you need me? And they're like, nope. And I, and I think they would prefer me not to be there. So, you know, I'm like, here, here's where we need to get to. Here's the time we need to get to it. Here's what you need to do to keep me updated so I can keep everybody else updated. But long story short, I ended up coming in. I think it was like three or four in the morning and, you know, very calmly said, all right, here's the plan. You know, what's the update? Here's the plan. Let's roll back. And they told me afterwards and, uh, you know, they, they were like, we appreciate you coming in calm, getting the situation um, or getting a good understanding of the situation and making the decision and moving forward. 
because uh, it was actually the vendor that told me, he said, I thought you were going to come in here and just light this place up. And I'll be honest with you. I thought about that on the drive in, (laughs) but I'm like, you know what? That's not going to do anybody any good. Most people were, you know, probably had been up for, I don't know, 12, 16, 18 hours. And it was like, we've got to get work back going tomorrow morning. And if this doesn't go like it planned, then let's just get back to where people can work and we'll figure it out. And we ended up not putting in that solution at all. But that was one of those moments that I remember, you know, this is two decades ago, but I still remember that person thanking me for not just coming in there and blowing the place up and just, you know, raising cane or whatever. And I'm sure we've all been around bosses that have done that before. And I probably have done it too. I'm not proud of that, but I'm sure it's happened somewhere along the way. But that's something just, you know, I guess just understanding where people are and what they're doing. Everybody on that team, vendor included, want that to, wanted that to go successful. And despite best efforts, it didn't. And, you know, that's life. You move on and pick up the pieces and do better next time. That was some of the things I learned at, um, learned at Siebel's. I learned a lot there. Uh, and then I uh, left there just to catch up to where, where I'm at now. I left there and worked for a company called Amedion. And their data center services provider, they were part of the um, part of the VCPP now used to be the V, the VCAN. And they sold, you know, they still do. They sell um, co-location and cloud servers and those kind of things. And that was interesting, kind of going from the end user side. I was a general manager at the Asheville data center. So from the end user side to the uh, I guess back to the sales and, and management side, running an operation that was 24 seven, 365. You know, how do you, we were in Asheville, so it would snow and we'd be out of power. And of course, we had multiple generators and all that kind of stuff. But that was just a that was my first uh, real taste, I'll say, into the international business. We had a lot of clients that were from India. We had clients from Europe and, you know, their their day was our night and all that kind of stuff. And it was really interesting having customers that you never saw. You just you know, communicated rarely over phone, mostly over email. And again, managing a team that was there 24 seven was interesting. Uh, Talking about always being on call. I mean, you were on call all the time. But um, I think that was the good part about that was it was kind of, okay, the technology of running, again, it wasn't so much me, but at Siebel's the team, being really close to the technology now, when you get into a service provider level, I was definitely more hands off. Like at, early on, at least I had admin rights. I was smart enough not to use them toward the end of that, <laughs> of that stint. But you get into this when you're dealing with multiple customers, multiple clients, huge systems, you know, a service provider, like no way I'm getting access to that. Right. I mean, people that had access to that had, you know, a gajillion certifications and were, were just knew this stuff like crazy. So that was that was interesting. But that getting the access to the international piece of it, I think, really helped me when I was because that was the job before VMUG. You know, that helped me out getting kind of that global perspective um, just a little bit. I've I've learned a lot more since then. But that was uh, that's kind of what led me to VMUG. And it's it's exciting to be in the IT industry. Um, I'm a career IT guy. A lot of people, I don't want to say a lot of people, but some people, you know, don't know that when they realize, oh, I, I didn't know you, you know, did this kind of stuff. They uh, it kind of takes them back a little bit. But um, it's fascinating to be in this industry, especially now with everything that's going on. 
And though VMUG, I mean, you could say that VMUG is not, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's not an IT job. I'll say it's not a traditional IT job because at the end of the day, you know, VMUG is a community and we, you know, we're here for our members to get the most out of their VMware and partner solutions. But, you know, it's not like we have, you know, we like literally everything we do is in the cloud. So, I mean, we're a consumer of IT, we being like, you know, the VMUG team, but it, it's not, it's funny, I'll go to VMworld. And of course, I go to booths and I get scanned and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, hey, we want to talk to you about your cloud solution. And let's talk about moving some of your servers to GCP or backing it up with, you know, Veeam or whatever. And I'm like, nope, that's, you know, that's not us. So <laughs> John really would love work. it if you move your stuff to GCP, by the way. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I actually was... Uh... I was wondering what those people thought, like how what the career trajectory to uh, executive director at, at VMUG was. Like you, you become like an individual contributor at VMUG, and then you become a VMUG like manager, and then VMUG director, and then VMUG ED. Like I, I, I don't know what people think. Um, but it's yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's um, that's interesting. So I, I've been a member of VMUG. I think I joined in like 2011, and then I uh, became the um, the executive director in 2015. And so, I mean, I'm coming up on, on five years of doing it. It was July, July 1st is when I started. So I'm coming up on five years, but, um, the board was looking for, uh, somebody who had it experience, I think, to be able to relate to, you know, the members relate to VMware, relate to the partners and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, VMUG, we're an independent organization. We're a nonprofit organization. We're obviously tightly aligned with VMware, but you know, we're our we're our own entity. We're we're a 501 nonprofit, but our members can be end users. They can be VMware employees, and they can be partners. So when you think about serving our member, you have to think about how do we serve the end user, which is you know fairly straightforward. But also, how can we serve the VMware member? How can we serve our partner member? Uh, you know, we've got plenty of good partners out there. And as long as they have a solution that can work in a VMware environment, then they are more than welcome to participate. And so that's something that, um, you know, there's there's people out there that aren't necessarily the best fit for VMA. And now with co-opetition and frenemies, it, it, it can get complicated. And we do have these conversations with our leaders about who is a good sponsor. And, you know, if somebody is directly going after VMware and they say our competition is VMware, they're not going to be a good sponsor. But there's a lot of people that are, that, that kind of do both. And I think that there's many good examples, but, you know, take Microsoft or take AWS. I mean, three or four years ago, they would have not been on main stage at VMworld. You know, now they're on main stage. And if you think about a VMUG, if Microsoft wants to come sponsor a VMUG and they want to talk about Horizon and Azure, let's do it. If they want to talk about, you know, their integration, uh, our VMware Workspace ONE into Windows 10, let's do it. Obviously, if they want to talk about Hyper-V, eh, we're not going to, you know, that, that, that doesn't fly. That's not going to work. <laughs> and uh, most vendors get that and they play within the rules. Uh, if a vendor doesn't, and there has been some in the past, then we have conversations with them and, you know, we'll, we'll give them, uh, 
I guess, baseball rules. You know, one strike, you get a comment and don't happen again. Two, it's don't happen again. And this will affect our relationship. Three, it affects the relationship. And we ask you to no longer participate in VMUGS. So that's the way that goes down. And unfortunately, that's happened in the past. But, you know, there's plenty of VMware partners out there. And um, there's it, it seems like it's expanding all the time, especially with, wow, all the acquisitions they've had lately with, you know, the Heptios, the Pivotals, uh, the Bitnamis, even Airwatch. You know, it seems like early on they were buying companies like a Nicera that then becomes NSX and you're not really buying a customer base or they're not really buying a customer base. Well, with Airwatch, that changed. With with Heptio, that's definitely different. With Pivotal, that's different. I mean, it's it's already a mature product that you're buying a customer base. So VMUG has to react to that uh, quicker than if it's buying technology that's then going to be released out to the general public. Can I ask how you and the leadership team at the VMUGs, and, and maybe that extends down to the, the chapter leaders, you know, evaluate what the needs of the community are and and maybe set some agendas or, or directions that, that you know, you'd like to, to go in uh, to better serve the needs of those users? So from an organizational perspective, VMUG is run by a board of directors and there's 11 people on that board, 11 voting members on that board. And 10 of those are end users. So that's a volunteer position uh, for those 10. And they are SMB, they're, they're enterprise, they're education, they're SLED. I mean, it runs the whole whole gamut on that. And we try to get a representation of where VMUG is, but also where VMUG needs to go. Uh, and then there's one person on there that's the VMware representative. And obviously they're, you know, they're a VMware employee. And so, but they, they get one vote. So one out of the 11 is VMware, the other 10 is end users. And those, that board will set, you know, what, what does the community need and kind of what is the strategy? And it, it's around not only the content, but it's the delivery mechanism. It's, um, you know, how, what is the ratio of kind of where where we need to spend our resources? We're like any other company. We don't have unlimited resources. So, you know, they'll look at the budget and, you know, look at what how much we're spending on in-person events versus virtual events versus supporting the community, you know, versus, you know, all the other programs that we have. And then that gets communicated out to the local leadership and those are generally communicated as, hey, these are some guidelines from a global perspective that we have learned based off um, surveying our members, based off members' feedback. You know, there's many touch points coming into VMA. So the board kind of looks at it from a global perspective. But we always want our local leaders to have the autonomy to, to tweak things as needed. Uh, you know, a, a good example might be in Nashville, where I'm from. You know, maybe that like right now we have a big focus of getting back to our core and, that, and that's vSphere. You know, that's make sure that our vSphere people um, have got a plan for their career and make sure they're getting what they need to make their vSphere environment bigger and better. But also, what's the next step? How can we get them on their next journey? Whether that's, you know, maybe just enabling vSAN. Or it could be somebody that's already there. Now they're ready to install VCF or maybe they're ready to go to, you know, one of the cloud providers, those kind of things. 
So we were, we're focused on going back to the core, but Nashville might look at this and say, you know what, we're a big healthcare area. So we want to do more with VDI. And so we're like, fine, here's some VDI content that we can help you with. Or in many cases, they say, we've got the speakers and we've got the people that are doing this. And, you know, we'll just provide that. So we let the local leaders, um, you know, kind of manage that uh, based off what their community is. Uh, Australia is one of the most virtualized continents in the world. They're very forward thinking. They're very cutting edge. And so they they will generally talk about. You know, they might be more leaning toward the vSAN or the NSX or VCF, those kind of things, as opposed to just um, base base vSphere uh, type content. So it kind of depends on the local area. So there's kind of a guidance of, hey, here's some information based off member feedback, but tweak it as you need and based off your local region. All right, Nick, I thought that was a really interesting interview. I, I liked how Brad uh, kept the connections open with his previous employer and staff. Like we always talk about professional networking, but um, that was just a real like example of how that can actually benefit you. A really great move. Absolutely. You never know when those connections can help you out later or you can help them. One thing that stood out to me was the responsibility Brad had for hiring and firing men vendors. I know a lot of us have probably done that before, but even though he didn't give a lot of detail on what that entails, I think that that helped prepare him pretty well for a move to managing people. Yeah, I uh, I wondered about that too. We didn't follow up on it, and maybe we should have, and, and maybe we should uh, look into maybe making that a future episode topic. Um, future topic. There you go. Write that down. Writing it down. <laughs> uh, I've also, uh, I, th I thought it was interesting that he learned so much about the needs of his team by actually listening to his team. Like they just told him, you know, rather than, hey, like, you know, manager above me, I need to understand like what my team needs. It, it sounded almost like he wasn't like paying attention and then they just came up and informed him that he was doing it wrong but it's you know it takes a lot of empathy to actually listen to somebody and so um i thought that that was a pretty cool situation to actually hear about um anything else before we get out of here no just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at VJourneyman, sheltering in place, for Nick Cordy, at NetworkMirrored underscore, signing off. Adios. Stay safe out there, kids. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across discipline. Ugh. Let's try that again. Hey, John, doing great. We are both. No, that wasn't even believable. <laughs> okay. Uh.
<clears throat> All right, one more time. I got it. I got it. I'm ready. Cool.